some of you guys I haven't seen since last year, so we are glad to be here gathered together this, this first Sunday and a brand new year. And let me give you some encouragement. So far, you have perfect attendance to church, uh, 2023. But today is a, is a bit of a rare day, uh, the, the first day falling on a Sunday. It's a, it's a new day, it's a new year, it's a, it's a blank slate. Now, some of you may have gotten ahead a little bit, but for many of us, we have 364 white boxes on our calendars that we get the privilege to fill in the coming year. After today, 364 empty white boxes. That is 8,736 hours. That is 31,449,600 seconds after today. And it's my prayer for me and for you that we make each of those seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, the whole year count. And so today, uh, for just a few minutes, and I always feel like Sunday mornings, it, it literally is just a few minutes that we have together. Um, it goes by quickly. Uh, for just a few minutes, I want to talk about uh, vision. Uh, today, as individuals, next week we'll spill over in the same talk, topic and we'll talk about sort of a corporate vision for this local church. Look where we've been and where we're headed in a new year. But vision is incredibly important and sometimes we take it for granted, both God's vision for our lives and even our, our actual physical sight. I can give you a little bit of a testimony there. Several years ago, Hadley was, she was little. She was probably, I don't know, three or four. And I had her set up on a counter. And I was talking to somebody here. And about the time I went to look and check on her, she went to point at something. And her cute, tiny little finger scratched the back of my skull, it felt like. Straight, wide open into my eye. I couldn't open my eye. It was incredibly painful. The next day, I went to the doctor, said, I think I might have scratched my eye. And she said, I can see it from here. It's, your, your cornea is kind of gaping open. Um, and uh, so she said, you want me to put a Band-Aid on it? And I was like, on my eyeball? And she said, well, it's a contact. I said, no, I'll pass on the Band-Aid. I'll just grin and bear it. Uh, but in that moment, I was reminded just what a detriment it is when your eye is not functioning as it should be. And so in the same way, when it comes to God's vision and his purposes for our lives, it is a detriment to us when we don't seek his vision and his desire out for us. Uh, and so my, my desire this morning is to, as we look into a brand new year, to point out just a few timely truths and timely reminders as the year unfolds before us, because this year will go as quickly as it came, the same that last year did. We'll be celebrating Christmas again before you know it. And so there are things that are going to need our attention and focus in 2023. And so if you have your Bible this morning, I'm going to begin in the Old Testament in the book of Proverbs, some wisdom literature. We're going to look at one verse there. Then we're going to kind of journey through the Gospels and look at some of the stories and teachings of Jesus. But Proverbs 29, 18, it's probably a verse that's getting taught a lot this morning. Uh, but the unfortunate thing is often it sort of gets pulled out of context a little bit. And so I want us to see this verse in context. So I want to read two translations for you. Proverbs 29, 18, I'm going to begin with the King James Version because this is kind of where it gets pulled just because of the wording. Proverbs 29, 18, according to the King James, where there is no vision, the people 
perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Now this is a great verse, but this particular translation can be a bit confusing. Uh, The verse here isn't talking about vision, as in what God necessarily wants for your life or a vision for a new year. It isn't talking about the direction for your personal life. But it does have some bearing on your vision in this year. Let me read it to you out of the English Standard Version. It says, Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. Now, what is this verse saying? What has everything to do with God's word? Prophetic vision, or the New International Version calls it revelation, God revealing himself to us. Um, (laughs) I I thought about answering it, you know. Um, maybe we're going to get a vision there, you know. Um, so um, <laughs> so uh, the, the passage here is talking about God's word. Let me read it again. Where there is no prophetic vision, the reading of God's word, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. That is when we hear God's word and we respond and we do what it says, blessings come from that. Now, That is not to say this, that if we hear God's word and we do what God's word says, that God is going to give us everything that we want. Of course, we know that's not what scripture teaches. Um, It doesn't mean that if we hear God's word and we do what it says, that life will be easy. But here's what scripture emphatically teaches all throughout the Bible, that when we hear God's word, when we respond in obedience, that leads to blessings. Now, It leads to a better life. Now, again, the reason we're Christians is not so our lives will be better. That's a byproduct. We're Christians because it's true. We're Christians because Christianity, what God's word says, is what best conforms to reality. However, Christianity does bring with it a host of blessings. And so with God's word comes God's will. God's will is his word. And so if we want to have a clear vision for our personal lives in 2023, we have to go to God's word. God's word is what directs and what guides us. And here is, for Christians, here's what ought to be taking place in our lives. Is that God is continually inviting us to respond to him in some way. Um, That's the initial call of salvation. We respond to that. But from there, he's continually pushing us in a new direction, asking us to start things, asking us to remove things from our lives, asking us to step out in obedience to him. And so as a Christian, if we aren't being pulled and called by God in some new directions, we need to take a look and find out what the problem is because God is constantly wanting to grow us and move us and shape us in a new direction. Now, often when we head into a new year, we often sort of set goals and kind of this is what I would like to accomplish this year. Here's what didn't get accomplished last year. So that kind of might get carried into the, the, the new year's goals or to-do list. But here's my challenge to you this morning is as we enter into this brand new year, first day, I would ask that you do two things. That One, that you open God's word because God's will is his word. If you want to understand a vision for your life, it's going to come through the pages of scripture. But also this, that we would ask God, God, as I come into a brand new year, maybe there are many things that need shaping and changing, but God, right now, what is the one big thing that you would like me to change, to work on, to do differently in this year? A lot of times we try to do a lot and we get overwhelmed. God, what is one thing that you would like for me to do different or how can I be different as we move into a brand new year? 
So the first thing that I want to challenge you with this morning when it comes to having a clear vision, and a clear vision comes through the reading of God's Word, is to know what's important and how you spend your time. You know, Christmas has come and gone, left just as quick as it came. This year will go by quickly as well. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit of a, a flaw that, that I have in, in my life. This has been present in my life for as long as I can remember. Um, I always feel saddened when good things come to an end. And maybe you can relate to that, maybe you can't. Uh, the holidays are always a time of joy for me. They're busy. I enjoy um, the, all the events that take place at church. I enjoy having family close. I enjoy some downtime with my kids. Love all that. But when it comes to an end, and I've had to sort of learn this over the years and sort of program my mind that when I'm on a high to tell myself, Josh, this is going to come down and you need to sort of be prepared for that. And I see that in our middle child, Hadley, when the good time comes to an end, there's a few days where she's just sort of down and out. And I'm trying to work with her to understand how to regulate your emotions to, where, to know that the high doesn't last forever. And so with that being said, I want to remind you this morning that all good things come to an end. And here is the fact of the matter, everything will come to an end. Everything has a shelf life, and if I let myself, I can sort of become saddened by the transient nature of life. That one day, um, you know, our kids will grow up and we'll be empty nesters. That my parents will continue to age and one day we'll be parted. That one day I'll age and I'll be parted from my kids. That there will come a day where I won't be a pastor at this church any longer. That's where you say, oh man. <laughs> uh, you know, all good things come to an end. And, and here's what I, I strongly think. Life would be ultimately depressing, but for God. Life would descend into a state of meaninglessness. You would have to do a really good job of keeping yourself distracted if it were not for God. In Christ, we have this hope that all that is good will carry into eternity. That what is bright will shine brighter. That what is good will become better. That it will lack the tarnish of sin as we enter into eternity. But knowing that everything has a shelf life, knowing that everything will come to an end, should motivate us to be very intentional with the lives that God has given us and with the time that he has placed before us. Because it will be very easy this year to become focused on things that lack relevancy, eternal significance, and to miss out on the things that matter the most. Let me read what Anne Lamont writes. She says, we all want God, but left to our own devices, we all seek worldly things, possessions, money, looks, power, because we think they will bring us fulfillment. But this turns out to be a joke because they're just props. And when we check out of this life, we have to give them all back to God because they're just on loan. They're not ours. Did you know that human beings are the only creatures whose brains are developed in such a way that we know that everything will come to an end. We know that nothing lasts forever physically, that everything has a shelf life. And the reason for that is due to our sinful nature. Now, in the Fultz family, we have three dogs, Jaxie, Marco, and Ditto. And I often tell my wife, it would be nice to be one of our dogs, to lay around, sleep all day, the, the food bowl is always full, no worries. They're not worried about, oh man, how many years do I have left to live? 
Every day is a holiday for those mutts at our house, you know. But we as humans know our lives are going to come to an end. But sometimes it seems like we forget that or at least we put it in the back of our minds. Often we don't live that way because if we did, if we knew everything is coming to an end, that everything's going to expire, that would certainly motivate us to live differently. So if you're taking notes this morning, five thoughts. We're, going to, we're on thought one this morning. We'll move fairly quickly. Uh, when it comes to having a clear vision in 2023, comes from God's word. I want you to remember this, that everything has a shelf life. Everything expires. There are no exceptions. And so to illustrate this point, let's go to the, the, the gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 12. We're going to look at a story in verse 13, Luke 12, 13. It says this, it says, someone in the crowd said to him, speaking to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to, the, to divide the inheritance with me. Now, in these days, rabbis often sort of resolve legal disputes between people. So it wasn't uncommon for a man in Jesus' position to be approached with something like this. Verse 14, but he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? Now, Jesus refuses to get involved. Why is that? Because Jesus knew that no answer he gave would solve the real problem. The real problem between these two brothers was the covetous nature that was in their hearts. And so these two brothers needed a change of heart. And so in verse 15, it says, And Jesus said to them, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What a powerful statement. That a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, this is where we're going to be honest this morning. That God has blessed all of us in here with a lot. And it maybe doesn't feel that way to you, but if you're an American, odds are you are blessed more than a lot of people in the earth. The temptation, though, is often to look at other people who have more and to feel like you only have little. That's because we're sort of seeing it in a narrow frame of reference. So we should, going into this year, we should be thankful for what God has given us, but also to know that our things are not what life is about. Thought number two, if you're taking notes, leads right into this. Life is not about the things that we have. Everything has a shelf life, and because of that, life is not about the things that we have. Jesus goes on. He tells a, a story. I love stories. Uh, Luke 12, 16. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what do I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And this wasn't actually true. He had a place to store his crops. What he lacked was a place to store his extra crops, his, in, his incredible yield, this harvest. So he says in verse 18, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I can just see this guy. He's consumed with working. He's planting. He's harvesting. He's tearing down. He's building bigger barns. Maybe he isn't spending as much time with his wife, with his friends, with his family. Maybe his kids are growing up without him present. Perhaps he can't take a few minutes off to go and to worship or to start his morning off with the Lord in prayer and in reading of scripture. He is out of balance and he's acquiring all that he can. He's caught up in the acquisition of things. He is possessed by his possessions. And if we are not incredibly careful, our possessions will possess us so easily. He's just trying to get there. He's just trying to be comfortable to a place where he can be financially secure with no worries. Verse 19, this is what he says. 
He says, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. So relax and eat and drink and be married. Well, he did it. He, he sort of got there. Let's throw a party. But look at verse 20. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Here's what I love about Scripture. I like that it doesn't mince words. You know, when I'm acting like a fool, you know what I want Scripture to tell me? You're being a fool. And we live in a time where we don't ever hurt anybody's feelings or tell anybody that they're wrong. That's what Scripture does. It tells us where we need to change and what needs to look different. Now, it says, you fool. Now, Jesus doesn't say this. He doesn't say this man is evil or wicked, though he is. We all are. We have the sinful nature. But he calls him a fool. And that's exactly what the man was. I highly doubt that this man meant to get his priorities out of whack. That he meant to get to a place where he neglected his wife and his kids or his parents whenever they asked him to come over for dinner or to become so self-consumed or to let his relationship with God slide and sort of take a back seat. But he got so caught up in things and acquisition and busyness that God calls him a fool. Now, remember King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. Let me, let me quote him to you this morning. This is Ecclesiastes 2, 2.11 and verse 18. Solomon says, Then I considered all my hands had done, all the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, it was all vanity, striving after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. I hated all my toil which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Here's what Solomon knew, that everything had a chef life. Solomon knew when he died, somebody else would be driving his chariot, spending time with his 900 wives, doing the job that he used to do. And it'll be the same for me, and it'll be the same for you. When we check out, all of our stuff goes to somebody else. And so Solomon, Jesus, both give us this idea that the meaning of life is not about the acquisition of things. Back to our parable, Jesus is telling us, Luke 12, 20. It says, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So, it, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now here's our answer for us. Jesus sums it up. Here's the object, the orientation of our lives, that we be rich toward God. What does that mean? It means that we live our lives in such a way that it is pleasing to the Lord, that when it's all over, that there's going to be this assessment of our lives. And when that happens, will we be able to have said that we lived a life that was rich towards God? Being rich toward God means cultivating your heart and your mind to be like that of Christ, to have a good and a tender heart where God can easily speak into it, where he can mold it and shape it. Being rich towards God means we love people, we invest in people, we give of ourselves to others. Being rich toward God includes cultivating the gifts that he's blessed us with to be used in his service. It means being generous with our stuff, with our time, with our money. To be rich towards God means we take what is temporary and invest it in what is eternal. So let me ask you as we have closed out a year and we're coming into a new year, can you say this about yourself, that you're living in a way that is rich towards God? Now, Jesus sums this up the object of life for us very well. Let me read to you. This is Mark 12, 28 through 31. 
So says, one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, here's the question, it's asked of Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? So this guy is wanting to know, what is the object? Why are we here? Jesus answered in verse 29, Mark 12, 29, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the object, the reason we're here is to love God and to love people. That's really clear cut. All the other commandments hang on these two things. And no one can love God with all their heart and not love people in the process. What God wants from us most is our heart. The Bible says where your heart is, there is your treasure also. God is, is, is desiring that we love him down to our very core. And so being rich toward God really boils down to two things. What are they? Loving God and loving people. Now there's a lot of things that surround that. How do we do that? That's a topic for another time. But those are the two big things. What matters most, if you're taking notes, thought three this morning, what matters most is God and people. Jesus said it, to be rich toward God means loving God first, loving people second. These are the things, everything else has a shelf life. These are the things that we carry with us into eternity. Now, if that's the case, why do we so frequently waste our time on so many things that don't truly have lasting significance? Now, let me ask you this. Do people get on your nerves sometimes? You can answer. They do, don't they? Uh, people get on our nerves. You know, there's probably a good chance that at some point I have gotten on some of your nerves and you went home and you said, that preacher, you know? And that's okay. People do get on our nerves, but, but here's what we have to be reminded of is that the reason we're here is to love God and to live in community with one another and to serve the people around us. Wise people, smart people, people that are rich toward God, build their lives around what is eternal. And we just sort of squeeze in what's temporary. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with enjoying the blessings that God has given you. You know, in fact, I'm often amazed and enamored that God has placed us in creation. And he's sort of given us the keys to the Porsche and said, have a great time. But if we're not careful we will be so consumed by what he's given us that we forget about the things that matter. And so this year, do a personal inventory. Where are you spending your time? Where are your ambitions? What consumes your thought life? Are you living for what's temporary? Are you living for what is eternal? Now, if you're taking notes, two more, two more thoughts this morning. Thought number four. One day we have to give an account for this life that God has blessed us with. And Jesus tells a story in Luke 19, he, he gives this parable about um, this, this nobleman who's going to leave and go into the far country to inherit his kingdom. And when he, he leaves, he calls his, his servants and he gives them a, an amount of money and expects them to be wise with it. So when he returns, one servant invested in it and it reaped a tenfold harvest. He says, well done. Another servant invested in it, reaped a fivefold harvest. He says, well done. But the last servant 
says, hey, here's the money you gave me. I wrapped it up in a cloth. I buried it in the ground so no one would steal it. And here it is. And the master says, you wicked servant. Like, you didn't do anything with the resources that I gave you. Friends, everything in life has a shelf life. And when this life ends, we step into eternity. We give an account of this life before God. Will I be able to say that I lived my life in such a way that was rich toward God, that what God gave me, I invested it wisely for his kingdom? Will I be able to say that I invested in God and people and acts of service and loved others well and, and attended to my family and went to church and served my church and worshiped and cultivated my soul to be more like Christ? Or will we be like the servant who God has given us this incredible blessing, we folded it up and we stuck it in the ground and we didn't do anything with it? Let me ask you as we roll into this new year, parents, are you investing in your kids? Because you only have them for a really limited amount of time. Husbands, wives, are you investing in your spouse? Maybe you spend a lot of time bickering about things that have, honestly, no significance to them. As we roll into a new year, are you investing in your church family, in your friends, in your extended family? Are you cultivating relationships with people and your relationship with God? Or are you simply living for what is temporary? Or maybe you're here this morning and you haven't even made that connection. It just hasn't really soaked in that, oh my goodness, you know, yeah, I know this life is going to come to an end, but that really hasn't settled down into, you know, the very marrow of my soul that one day I'm going to stand before God and then I'm in need of a Savior because I can't fix things myself. You know, Jesus spent his whole life doing two things. The will of the Father and serving people and loving people. Now, when you look at the landscape of America, or even broader than that of the world, or maybe we just narrow it down and we look at Orange, Texas, I want to ask you, how would things be different in our world if our two ultimate concerns were doing the will of the Father and loving people the way that people should be loved? How should people be loved? Well, the same way you want to be loved and accepted and valued. So what if in 2023 we serve God we loved people. We were reminded that everything has a shelf life, that we're going to one day stand before the Lord, and we truly invested in things that matter. Friends, we're headed into a brand new year. When you open up your calendar, there are these 364 little white boxes in your planner or in your digital calendar. Can I remind you of this as we close? Last thought that you are in charge of what each of those boxes contains, that you get to fill each and every one of those boxes. So I want to ask you, what are you investing in? As we close here, can we get a little bit specific when it comes to what you will invest your time in this coming year? At the beginning, we said this, that as a Christian, God is constantly inviting you into this process of change and becoming more like him. And if you don't feel this pull of God asking you to do something different, that means you're perfect. And, I, you know, you're some great folks, but none of us are perfect, right? And so that means this, that God is constantly asking you into a deeper, more meaningful relationship with himself. That he's asking you to come into a deeper commitment. And that means he's constantly asking you to change, whether that is to stop doing some things or to start doing 
some things. So as we look into this year, as we look at God's word to cast a vision for our personal lives, what is God asking you to do differently in 2023? And let's make it easy. Let's focus on one single thing. What is one thing that God is revealing to you? And maybe this is a conversation you need to have with God. Spending time in his word and saying, okay, God, what is the biggest thing that you're calling me to in 2023? You know, often as people, we like to set goals. Goals are a good thing. Sometimes we set global goals of, I want to be a better Christian. How do you know that you're, how do you know that you're meeting that goal? I want to be a better dad. What does it mean to be a better dad? I want to be a better husband. Well, how do I be? better husband. So this is what I challenge you to do is whatever God is calling you to get specific and find a way to see if you're actually making progress in what God is calling you to. So I'll give you some examples before we close out. It might be I want to spend more time with the people that matter. Great. How are you going to manage that? Well uh, between 5 and 8 p.m. I'm going to spend time with my family on Mondays and Thursday nights. That's easy to track. You can see whether you're accomplishing that. It might be, well, you know, I want to take care of myself. What does that look like physically? Well, um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm going to go for a walk for 30 minutes. Great. You can see whether you're actually making progress there because God is concerned about your physical health and how you take care of your body. It might be, I need to be in church and under God's word. I want to be more faithful to church. Well, how are you going to manage that? Every time you come on a Sunday, put a checkbox on your calendar. At the end of the year, you can look back and see the degree of faithfulness to God's house. It might be I want to read God's word so I can know God's vision for my life because God's will is his word. How do I measure, how do I measure that? Well, five days a week, I'm going to spend between five to ten minutes in God's word where there is no revelation that people cast off restraint. Church, you have, after today, 364 more white boxes left to fill in 2023. You get to decide what goes in them. I get to decide what goes in them. So let's do this. Let's fill those days with things that matter because everything has a shelf life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you thanking you once again for allowing us to be here in your house, to be able to assemble together on the first day of the year. And Lord, I'm thankful. I know there's nothing magical that happens from the last day in December to the first day in January, but this is what I'm reminded of that you are a God of fresh starts, that your mercies renew every single day, that we're not tethered to last year, that you're willing to wipe the slate clean and to say, you know what, do better. So Lord, maybe some of us accomplished a lot last year. Maybe we limped and struggled through the year. Regardless, Lord, we're thankful that you meet us here in this new year. And Lord, our prayer for our lives and for our church, as we'll continue to talk about, is that we would fulfill the calling on our lives to be rich towards you, to love you, to love the people around us, and to focus on the things that truly matter. God, would you help us to avoid distractions this year? Would you help us to keep a singular focus, looking neither left nor right, to keep our eyes facing forward, God? Lord, I pray that uh, maybe as we look back last year, there were some things in our lives that shouldn't have been there. Or would you show us how to change that this year? Maybe it's getting help. Maybe it's reaching out to someone. Maybe it's confessing a secret. I don't know, God. Maybe it's depending on you and saying, God, we need your help in this area in our lives. 
Our God, maybe we started to wrestle with the idea that you're calling us into something deeper, that you're calling us to, to serve or to step out or to do something different or to trust you in our finances. Whatever that looks like, God, would you help us to be faithful and obedient to serve you and to live for you? Lord, thank you for the people in this room. Pray that you just continue to knit our hearts and minds and souls together. Pray that we would love you, love one another, and that the world would be different because we as First Baptist Church Orange are a city on a hill. Lord, we love you, we praise you. All these things we pray in your name. Amen.